All right, let's, let's pick up where we left off. But before we do, um, let's do just a quick review. And part of what I'm trying to do with you through the process is to get you relaxed to see that when it comes to biblical counseling, you're just doing evangelism and discipleship, okay? And these are universal principles that will never change. So if I always understand that these are the areas where God has called me to salvation or sanctification, I should say, you're called to be saved. And then now that you're saved, what are you to put off and put on? Well, where do I go to work? Through the C1 to C5 areas. Now, if you really take this stuff practically, and one of the things I do with my counselees when I'm working through a counseling session, when I have them read material, I have them read material with the thought of change in mind. And so I will teach them these categories, C1 to C5, and this is what I will ask them to do. As you're reading some information, I may say to them, I want you to first answer this question. What is the topic or what is the subject? What is being said about the subject? Then how does this apply to me? Then based upon what you see, what do you need to stop doing in C1? What do you need to start doing in C1? What do you need to stop doing in C2? What do you need to start doing in C2? Does that make sense? So then as they're reading, they're reading with the intent of change, not just to gain information. Now, imagine if you were in a small group and in your small group, after you've heard the pastor preach, you all sit down and say, okay, he said a lot. Let's break down his sermon. Here is the topic of discussion. This is what our pastor said. These are the details behind what he said. Now, based upon this, what do I need to stop doing and start doing in my C1, C2, C3, C4, C5? And who will hold me accountable to walk in that? Now, notice what just happened. You went from just listening to a sermon to seeking to live out the sermon. Okay? Now, true confession. My job as a pastor will be secure. You know why? Because most of the folk in my congregation forget half of what I said from week to week. Okay? So if I were to go back and say, hey, what did I preach on last week? Uh, what did I preach on a week before last? Uh, so I tell them, listen, why don't you put me out of a job? Why don't you actually listen to what I say with the intent to live it? But if not, I can give you the same sermon in three months from now, and you won't know it was the same sermon because you just listened to forget. Okay? Try to put your pastor out of a job. Imagine, I'm going to tell you, a, a Sunday for me would be this. This would be my dream Sunday. See, I'm, I'm looking for a church like the Thessalonian church. I would love to get up one Sunday morning and say, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Praise God for what you're doing. Jesus will be coming soon. And uh, let's have praise and worship now. I mean, that would be wonderful, right? But, but the challenge for you and I is we got to look at our lives and say, okay, if I'm shallow in application, then I won't give my counselees good application either. If I can't tell you specifically what I need to put off and specifically what I need to put on, if I'm not working that out through C1 to C5 with a strategy and process, then I can't help the person that's before me. 
as I was working with one of my counselors and I was training her to work uh, with this particular lady, I noticed she kept giving glorified Bible studies. Now, I'm not against Bible studies. I'm a pastor. I love Bible studies. What I'm against is people getting more knowledge than the application of the knowledge. Does that make sense? Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. There are times when people understand what we've said, they need skill and application of what we said. And when we give them more information and less application, they just become very arrogant sinners that know the Bible. Does that make sense? And they can intellectually explain to you why they're in sin, but can't practically obey Christ by the power he's given. So for me, I challenged her, I said, you know, every time I ask you about what you're doing with this particular lady, you keep telling me that you gave her this to read. And you gave her that to read, and you gave her this to read, and you gave her that to read. Have you given her specific things to apply within the context of the problem by which she came to you for? And if so, what are the specific things that she needs to stop doing and start doing, and have you directed her in that process? Well, you know, Pastor, you know, I've just, I think she needs to read this, she needs to read that. I said, wait a minute. I think I see what the problem is here. Those specific things that I ask you to do with your husband, have you been doing those things? Well, no. I said, so you and I had an agreement that you could do counseling as long as it didn't help or hurt, I'm sorry, hurt your commitment to your home. That was our agreement. And we have some specific things that we identified that were sins in your life that you needed to put off and specific ways you needed to walk in love for God and love for your husband. And we got that down to applications that you would do on a weekly basis. Is that not right? Yeah. I said, so it seems to me you're giving her that which you're doing. Does everybody see where I'm going? You get back to the things that we discussed specifically and precisely, and I think your counseling will change. And that's exactly what happened. When she went from just feeding herself truth to applying the truth she's feeding herself, then she had specific, precise homework to give to her counselee. But that goes back to this, guys. The C1 to C5. Now, my challenge to you, though, is I want you as good Bereans, I want you to go home and do your homework. I want you to research this. Look at every place in the Bible where you're called to change. And what you're going to discover is it's a C1 to C5 issue. Now, if what I'm telling you is true, you already know where the problems are before the counselor sits down to talk with you. Does that make sense? Here's what you already know. You already know that this person's either believer or unbeliever. So you know your agenda. If they're an unbeliever, what's your agenda? If they're a believer, what's your agenda? So you don't have to figure out in the pinch what your agenda is. It's clear, okay? Now, here's what you already know. If it is a believer, where do, they pro- where do their problems exist? In what categories? C1 to what? So all you have to do is listen, and what are you going to hear? See one, two, and what's the root of their problems? See, you know more about the person before they even talk to you. Does that make sense? So you're sitting there now with confidence to say, okay, in my observation, and what I'm giving you guys is what I call a concept of analysis. It's a way to see things before you sit down with the counselee so that you're not overwhelmed with all the details that you will encounter. 
And so they're talking to you. Oh, my dog died. My mama did this. My daddy didn't do this and this, 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 this. C1, C2, C3, C4, C1, C2. And you're sitting there writing things down. And then you're like, do I need to stop talking? No, go ahead, sister. You're fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tracking with you. C5, C3, C2, C4, okay? So again, you start to learn this is where these things fit. And as you have discovered, this is a believer or unbeliever. If it's an unbeliever, you give them the gospel. They come to Christ. Those C1 to C5 things you get busy on now. If they're a believer, what do they need to put off? What do they need to put on? How do we help them walk through the process? And for the rest of our time over the next night and tomorrow, we'll talk about, we're going to go to detail into this process. Now, I'm going to do something that may seem a little strange, but I want to give about five minutes, and then I'm going to jump back in to a few questions, and then I'm going to jump back in. If it gets too deep, that's when I'm going to jump back in, Okay. But I'm going to give you about five minutes, and I'm going to do this from time to time to let you kind of throw some things at me, all right? And then we'll jump back in. So five minutes for questions, and then we'll go back. Does anybody have? Yes, ma'am. What is your question? I spend a lot of time with a worksheet I developed that talks about the gospel. So I will give them the gospel, uh, let them go back, research it more, talk to them about the gospel, or I will talk about spiritual deception versus spiritual amnesia. And I'll just keep hammering that over and over and over again. Okay. And now I don't do it in a mean way. I just say, hey, there's some things I want to talk about. Uh, Sometimes you'll see that people in the Bible uh, thought they belonged to Christ. And they put their faith in these things. And here's what Christ called us to put faith in. You know, let's look at your life according to where we are. How do you see yourself either here or not here as it relates to this? You know, gospel. Talk about what we're saved from, what we're saved to. You know, and I will just keep reiterating that until you feel more comfortable that perhaps I'm dealing with a person with spiritual amnesia, not spiritual deception. Okay. Somebody, yes, sir, and then we'll come to you, sir. Yes, sir. That's my boy. He went and got a microphone. You're the man. There we go. Say it again, sir. There's been identification on these various points. Uh, Are you going to move in from identification to instruction? Oh, yeah. So if this is a Christian... For example, uh-huh. how do I speak to them in a way that's not just simply modifying their behavior, but uh, motivating them out of the gospel uh, to behave and be what they are like in Christ? That. That's what this is all about. We're going to spend the rest of the time answering that question. All right. This is yummy. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm just curious. Um, for those of us who have gone to this counseling for so many years and... And we've heard um, Jay Adams himself speak, and he gives, and Randy Patton, and they always give this model of homework. Pray. uh, Teach them to pray. Give them uh, memory verses. Give them scripture to read. Give them something to read. Give them something to do. Those five things. You set me up. What do you do with homework? Tonight and tomorrow, you will find out. Okay. Okay. Do you follow that model? Yes. We're going to go through all of that. That was the purpose of this. We're going to answer your question for you. Okay. Not right now, but okay. we're going to answer it. <laughs> By the time this is over, you'll get your answer. You'll get your answer as well. And you get a car. And you get a... No. 
Okay, we got time for one more and we'll jump back in. Yes, sir. Yes, C5 would be, you know what, Pastor? I know that I should be more involved in church, but I'm not. And uh, I know I haven't been coming often. And uh, I've been busy on my job, but, you know, I, I know I should, but I'm not. Okay, so basically you're telling me you've been coming and attending, but you haven't been committing to serving. That's a C5 issue. Not only have you been forsaking the fellowship of the believers according to Hebrews, you're not operating in the gifts that God gave you to be effective for the body. Okay? All right, we can do one more, then we're going to jump back in. One more, one more, one more. One more, one Ah, there we go. Yes, sir. Hold on. He's coming to give you the mic. You're getting curb service here. Is there ever a situation that you said, no, I can't deal with this one because, because all of them. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) No, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Bring in, bring in a heavy hitter or I don't know. I'm just kind of curious if there's ever that one example of a few things that you're like, wow, these are pretty huge. What I've discovered is that what I could not handle that I can handle now are people who are rebellious. There's not been an issue yet that I could not handle as far as the information they've given. And we'll discover why once I show you this. What I can't handle, and I didn't figure it out till later, is I'm trying to force someone to follow. And I would run out of all of these ideas, and they just wouldn't. It's like, because it's not my job. You know? And it took me years to figure out I am not the junior Holy Spirit. There's not an opening in the Trinity. So the hardest cases for me are the ones where I'm trying to make people get what they don't want. In other words, I want more for them than they want for themselves, okay? And I, you know, and I, I finally get it. But apart from that, there hasn't been anything yet that's so complex and so difficult that couldn't come back to this. Does that, does that make sense? All right, let's get to some of this meaty stuff. The guy says, well, you know, can we move past the gospel and give them some deep stuff? What about homework, right? Well, let's see if we can answer those questions and go into those things together, all right? Now... So we've got these C1 to C5. I want you to turn and let's look at letter H. We're going to spend some time here because we're building again our process. When we talk about this concept of progressive sanctification, when we understand the process of change, everyone that is a believer falls in these categories. Okay. When you look at your life, and I want you to go back and look at these passages tonight, and, or when you get an opportunity, you're going to discover that every time there was genuine change in your life, you went through these phases. Okay? You will see these phases throughout all of Scripture. So, when there is going to be change, every believer will go through these six phases. Now, why is that important to you and I? Because that means that there is no problem when it comes to sin that will not be resolved by going through these six phases. There's no issue in anyone's life that won't come back to them having to walk through these six phases. And as you learn these six phases and you see them for what they are, here becomes the challenge. Dealing with people not where you want them to be, but dealing with them where they are. Most people struggle in counseling because you're trying to force people to be somewhere instead of seeing where they are and looking at the next step that you need to take them and having all the specifics and the preciseness to help them from the next step to the next step according to your understanding of the phase that they are in. Now, 
Again, my challenge to you is as we walk through these six phases, you're going to look at your life and say, you know what? When there has been change in my life, I have gone through these six things. So let's look at them together, shall we? Step number one. Again, letter H says there are six phases that one goes through when genuine change takes place. Step number one, realization phase. What does that mean? One comes to see truth and understand how it applies to their life. Now, that's a very important process because this is where God brings people to their senses. They see. Can you make someone see? You have no power over that. Who does that belong to? When you get an opportunity, you go look at 2 Timothy where he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, able to teach, patient when in opposition, if perhaps God may bring them to their uh, senses, grant them repentance that they may escape the snare of the devil, being held captive by him to do his will. So God has to bring a person to realization. So the first step of change is what we call the realization phase. Second step, number two, is the remorse phase. One comes to feel godly sorrow in relation to their sin and desires to make things right with God and others accordingly. Now, here's what's interesting. This is basically godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Remember what what Paul said? Godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation without regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Now, who produces that sorrow in the person's life? God does. So notice there's a step between the realization of truth and the remorse over my sin in connection with the realization of truth. And think about those areas of your life where you've changed. You saw the truth, and then what happened? You became broken over your sin in connection with the truth that you saw. Many of the people that you're counseling, they have realization they've not yet moved to remorse. And you're trying to get them to change, but they're not broken over their sin. And so you have no tools to help them in that area and you keep trying to get them to do stuff but they don't see the need to do anything because their realization they've not yet come to remorse you see where i'm going there is no godly sorrow there is no brokenness they're not seeing the damage and distance that they've created between them and god and others in relationship they're not broken over their sin they are still making excuses instead of being willing to make confessions And those areas of your life where you've truly changed, what happened? You realized, and then what did it move to immediately? Remorse. Now, I'm not talking about a pity party, okay? Pity party is, oh, I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. How could I have done this? That's a self-righteous person that does not realize that they are as wicked as they are, okay? So when you're in a pity party, what you're saying is, I can't believe that I'm that bad. Well, what did Jesus die for? He didn't die for good people right? The gospel is only good news for wicked people. So if you want a wicked person, you didn't need Jesus Christ. Now we don't like to hear that because we think we're somebody. Does that that make sense? And so it's hard for people to sometimes accept, yeah, you really are that bad. But God really is that good. 
And he loves you and wants to deliver you from sin. And if you put your trust in him, he will deliver you. Now he's developing you in a new life, but there's stuff in you that he's exposing. And you're supposed to be broken over that, not have a pity party. That means that you don't really see how bad you are. People who have a pity party want to forgive themselves instead of getting over themselves and surrendering to the forgiveness of God. You follow where I'm going? Oh, I need to forgive myself. No, you don't. You need to get over yourself. Okay, there's no forgiveness. Let me tell you what forgiveness of self really is. I thought I was all of that in a bag of chips. And now I realize I'm not as good as I thought I was. So let me cut myself some slack. That, that's what forgiving of self is. It's an unbiblical self-righteous mentality that means I haven't come to terms with my sinfulness and the grace and mercy of God. But true remorse says, I am broken. I see this. See, a lot of times in counseling, I don't move too quick. People realize, but there's no remorse. And so we have to work some areas, and we'll talk about what you do specifically and strategically in a moment. But again, between realization and remorse, there's some things that need to be done. But again, I can't control it. I can only be a facilitator by providing certain types of homework and insight and watch God do the rest. However, when you look at your life, the areas where you've truly changed, it went from realization and then it went to remorse. Now let's look at the third phase. Realization, remorse. Notice the third phase is renounce. Renounce. One comes to confess their sin to God and to others when appropriate. Now let's focus on that for a moment. Notice this gradual process. Realization of truth. I see things for what they are. Remorse. I am now broken over my sin within the context of what I see. So this realization and remorse ultimately leads me to do what? Renounce, which is I confess. I agree with God. And where I need to humble myself because my sins were more than mental, they were verbal or physical towards someone. And not only agree with God and ask his forgiveness, I humble myself to others where I've sinned against them. Notice the process. True renouncing will not happen unless there's what? Genuine remorse. There will be no genuine remorse until there's what? Realization. When you look at the areas of life where you've truly changed, this is how you changed. Now, let's look at the fourth process. The fourth process, repentance phase. One comes to turn away from their sin towards God and towards others accordingly. Huh. So let's look at what happens. Confession and repentance are not the same thing, are they? I acknowledge and then I turn away. But okay, let's, let's go backwards. Genuine repentance will not happen without genuine what? Renouncing. Genuine renouncing will not happen without genuine what? And there'll be no genuine remorse until there is. Now, God has to bring a person to realization. God has to bring a person to remorse. And again, he's working the whole process you can help facilitate the rest of it. But guess what you can't make a person do? 
realize and what? Remorse. And this is where many of you are very frustrated with the people you're counseling because you're saying they don't get it. They don't get it. And I would beg to differ with you and say they get it. They just have no sorrow over it. They're not broken. Sometimes people understand you clearly. They just don't agree with you practically. And we say they don't understand. No, they get it. I've had people repeat things back to me and they articulate it better than what I said. And I say, oh, you understand, you just don't agree. Or you refuse to accept this reality that's being presented. If you're willing to work with me in counseling, my job would be to help you see what you don't believe to be true. And then we can move to the next level. But we can't move to the next level until you are able to see this and you become broken over what you see. If not, true change can't take place. Now think about it. If you don't believe you've done something wrong and you're not broken over what you've done and then somebody gives you something to do, what will you do with it? You'll half do it, won't you? Or you won't do it at all because you think this is useless. This is futile because I'm not what they say I am and this is not me. So why am I going to do this homework? This doesn't fit who I am. This isn't helping why we came for counseling. Have you had people say that to you? And what they're really saying is, I'm looking for relief. You're trying to bring me to repentance. I just want a relief. I wanted you to fix this person. You're trying to work on me. I don't have any problems. I just only came for this person. And you're like, I don't understand. What do I do next? Well, let's look at where they are. Now, before we go any further, let's go back. The first step is what? Second step. What's the third step? What's the fourth step? Let's look at step number five. Step number five is the renewal phase. One comes to meditate on the truth so that he or she may learn the new direction by which he or she is to obey God and love others accordingly. So now think about this. There will be no genuine renewal if there's not genuine what? There will be no genuine repentance if there's not genuine what? There'll be no genuine renouncing if there's not genuine what? There will be no genuine remorse if there's no genuine? When you look at your life, every time you have changed and it has been significant, you went through these phases. You heard something. There was realization. Then there was remorse. Then you renounced. Then you repented. Then you started to renew your mind to learn the new thing or the new way that you needed to live. And then number six, replacement phase. One comes to obey God and love others in the area where he or she has disobeyed God and been unloving towards others. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Is there ever a time where this is not true as it relates to change? Can any Christian change without going through these six phases? So I want you to challenge that. I want you to be good Bereans and go back and look at the concept of progressive sanctification. Go back and study your theology and what you're going to discover is no Christian, if they're going to genuinely change, can bypass this. There will always be realization. There will always be remorse. There will always be renouncing. There will always be repenting. There will always be renewing. There will always be replacing. Look at your life. 
And the areas where you have changed, you went through these six phases. Now, if this is true, if someone has a C1 problem, what is the steps of change for them? What does it start with? And then? And then? And then? And then? And then? If someone has a C2 problem, what is the answer for them? How do we help them change? It starts with? And then? And then? And then? And then? And then? If someone has a C3 problem, what is the solution for them? And then? And then? And then? And then? And then? If someone has a C4 and C5 problem, what is the answer for them? Is there ever a time where this is not true? as it relates to sanctification and a Christian. So then for you and I, we have an advantage when it comes to counseling. Look at what we already know when it comes to counseling. The agenda is clear. If it's an unbeliever, none of this can happen. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will be their realization. And then they will do the other things according to moving into salvation, if that makes sense. However, Until they accept Jesus Christ, there will be no genuine change. If it's a believer, then we understand there's something they need to put off, something they need to put on. And God has already laid out in his scripture the process of change that they'll need to go through. They'll need to walk in. What again? So I'm going to do this. You'll catch on what I'm doing. What's next? What else? What else? And then? If that's the case, you already know what a person needs before they even sit down and start talking to you because it's the same thing with different situations. If it's a combination of C5 to C2, if it's a smorgasbord of 10 C3 things and 7 C4 things and 8 C5 things and 20 C1 things, it doesn't matter what combination it is. It will take the same premise. They first have to realize there has to be remorse. Then they have to renounce. Then they have to repent. There has to be renewal. There has to be replacement. So part of your counseling strategy must be to learn the categories. One, what are the C5, the C1, to C5 categories? Two, if this is the process of change, where is this individual with these areas? Because if you're dealing with a person with a C2 problem and they're in the realization phase, do you take them to replacement? Will they go to replacement? Oh, so what do they need? Remorse. So then we have to figure out what do we do in the counseling session? What homework do we give that will lead them by the power of God to remorse? They come to remorse. What's our next step? Oh, great. They're there. So then what do we do in our counseling session and our homework that will lead them to renounce? So they get that. Then what do we do now in our counseling session and with our homework that leads them to repent? 
What do we do that leads them to renew, to replace? So what happens is you become strategic and you are dealing with people where they are, not where you want them to be. Do you see the difference? And so then now all your counseling strategies fall back to, okay, this person has 10 to 20 different things coming at us. Now, with the 10 to 20 different things, and you will get this. Let me simplify it for you. C1 is the, what again? So all the 19 other things would be C2 to C5. You start dealing with the root, guess what's going to happen to a lot of that fruit stuff? Ah. So you go, I I got so many things to deal with. I don't know where to start. Well, start with the thing that causes everything else, and that'll save you a lot of time so you're not chasing a bunch of rabbits. But even if you started with everything else, tell me where you're going to go with the people. What does it always start with? Realization. And then you move down the steps. Now, before we go any further, like you take about two or three minutes, go back over with the person next to you. Go back up to C1, to C5. Look at these processes. Look at some of those scriptures. And we're going to come back and we're going to build on this a little bit more. Because if this is true, we have come with a solution of how to counsel in a way that doesn't make us overwhelmed. We have concepts of analysis and we have a progressive sanctification model that says, hey, when it comes to change, people always have to go from this to this. Do I have a system in place to help them? Okay, take about two or three minutes, process with each other, and we'll come back and build on this a little bit more.
Okay, everybody, would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at one more section for tonight, and we're going to build it back on the, five, or the six phases. And I'm going to show you now how these six phases neatly fit in four stages. So we're going to take these six things, and we're going to neatly fit them into four stages. And I'm going to show you how this works so that eventually as you're counseling, you say, okay, he's just given me these six things that every Christian, if they're going to change, is going to go through. I don't believe him yet. I'm going to go home and study scripture. And then if I see that what he's saying is true, then I'll buy in. Okay. Let's say you buy in and you say, you know what? This is real. I see it in scripture and I can take what I see in scripture and I see my life. When there's been change, it started with realization. And then there was genuine remorse, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There was godly sorrow, and that led me to change. And then from the godly sorrow, which was the remorse, I renounced. I owned up to my sin. And not only did I renounce, I turned away. I repented. I turned away from it. And then you know what? I started trying to seek the truth to understand the new way to live in this area. And then I not only renewed my mind in this area, I replaced it with this new way of living in this C1, C2, C3, C4, C5 area. Now, just by the show of hands, how many of you have experienced what I've just talked about? Let me just see it. Oh, so most of you understand where I'm going with this. Now, go back, study the scripture, look at these passages and say, huh, okay. If this is a true process and if this is how change takes place, then I already know what a person needs before they come and talk to me. So I'm not confused as to the direction they need to go in. I just need strategy and the tools that I will use in the session and outside of the session to lead them through the process. But part of the struggle is first understanding, is there a dynamics to change that always happens? And if so, if I see it, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. It's always going to come back to the same process, but just different ways of going back to the same process. Are you with me so far? Now, let's take this and let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at starting a familiar passage. I'm in first and I'm telling you to go to 2 and I'm in first. Let me get into 2 Timothy chapter 3. Where are you? Here we go. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, purpose clause, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul is explaining to us that when it comes to the word of God, there are four key benefits to the word of God. The word of God is profitable to teach you. It's profitable to convict you. It's profitable to show you how to make corrections. It's profitable to help you train in what's right. Now, if you take those four categories, teaching, reproof, correction, training, What's interesting about what Paul is saying the Bible is profitable for are also stages of spiritual development. 
Now think about it. First comes the teaching. Then comes the what? Conviction. Then what do you do? You make corrections. And then what do you do? You train in what's right. When you look at the spiritual stages of development, you learn the truth. You're convicted by the truth. You make corrections in accordance to the truth, and you begin to train in the truth. So with that, we start to see the stages of change in a person's life. But watch this. The stages of change will reveal the phases. And let's see how that works. Let's look at number one, the teaching stage. What happens in the teaching stage? As God's word is being taught to you or you're reading truth, the Holy Spirit guides, convicts, and enlightens your mind through the word of God, the body of Christ, circumstances, and prayer. Okay, when that happens, let's think about it. When you're in the teaching stage, what are we going to see in your life? Realization. Okay, let's go back and see what realization means again. Realization means one comes to see truth and understand how it applies to their life. So when I am in the teaching stage, the Holy Spirit has now brought this thing clearly to my mind. Now, question, can you do that? I can't do it. You can't do it. What's our job? We present the truth. Okay. What's the Holy Spirit's job? To bring the realization of the truth. So we'll know a person is in the teaching stage when we see realization. Now, let's look at the conviction stage. God begins to focus your attention in particular areas of life, convincing you that change is necessary. Now, what will we see if a person's in the conviction stage? Any idea? Imagine that. Realization and remorse is what we'll see in the conviction stage. They not only realize now, but there is remorse. Now, can we do that, you and I? We can only present the truth, and it is the power of God that will bring the realization and the remorse. Third stage, correction stage. You make a decision to abandon a sin issue and begin a new thought, word, or action, trusting God's power to make things function accordingly. What will I see when a person's in the correction stage? Any idea? Renouncing and repenting. Fourth stage, training stage. As you are responding to God's conviction, you are seeking to put to practice what God has commanded in his word. By the power of God, you're walking in harmony with God in areas where you were once disobedient. You're experiencing victory, a deeper fellowship with God and with others. Now, what will I see if a person's in the training stage? Renewal and what? Replacement. Huh. So we've just taken the six phases... And we've broken them down into four stages. First comes the teaching. Then comes conviction. Then comes correction. Then comes training. So if a person is in the teaching stage, they see the truth. If a person's in the conviction stage, they not only see it, realization, there is remorse. 
When a person is ready to make changes, they will move into the correction stage and we'll see renouncing and repenting. When they're in the training stage, we will see renewing and replacing. Now, let me give an example of how this would work. Let's go back to the six R's for a moment. A guy comes into my office and he says, I'm having problems with my wife. What do we immediately see? What area is that, ladies and gentlemen? C4. Not the dynamite, but the issue. Okay? So immediately, I know this is a C4 issue. He says, I'm having problems with my wife. Okay? And he starts to tell me the problems he's having with his wife. And I say to him, well, you know what, brother? Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And he says to me, I already know what that verse says. I used to be in BSF. I used to be a teacher of BSF. And I've taught that verse a million times. Okay, well, what does the verse say? I know it says husbands live with their wife in an understanding way. I understand that. Really? Now, based upon what he just said, what stage could he possibly be in? He could be in the teaching stage where there's realization. But what is he lacking? remorse. He doesn't see his own heart with his exposition of the scripture. So guess what? I'm not going to reteach him the passage. That's not what he needs. He understands the passage, but there is no genuine remorse with this quote unquote realization of what the text says. So now my strategy and counseling changes. So I say to him, well, I'll tell you what, since you understand this passage, Can you give me some ways in life that you've been applying this passage in the last seven days? Give me specifics of what you've done and how you did it and on what days you did it. Ah, what will that, what do you think that'll start to do to that young man who knows this? Okay. Now I take him to the next level. I said, tell you what, here's your homework assignment because he's not ready for change because he still thinks he knows everything. But he's not doing anything what he knows. He's not yet in remorse. So we can't move into action yet. Here's your assignment. I'd like you to go home this week. And I want you to ask your wife a few questions. One question I'd like you to ask her is, where have I not kept my word with you in the last seven days? Second question I want you to ask her is, where have I disappointed you in the last month? Third question I want you to ask is, what sins have I committed against you that I've not come and really owned up to in relationship to you? Now, what am I doing, guys? I'm I'm not trying to teach him the scripture now, am I? Because he has realization, but what is he lacking? So his homework, the goal of his homework is to bring him to awareness You see where I'm going? Because he's not ready for change. So now he goes home. He starts to ask his wife these questions. And if God wills, what do we think I'm going to see by the next session? Some genuine remorse with this realization. So he comes back and says, you know, I, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm shocked at what my wife said. And I'm going to go, mm-hmm, I'm not, but I wouldn't say that out loud. Okay. (laughs) I, I, I. (laughs) I I can't believe, uh, you know, I I didn't realize that I haven't kept my word. I haven't, I mean, I've blown it. 
What stage is this person in now? Conviction, right? So what do we see in this conviction stage? Realization and what? Are we ready for some change now? Now we're ready for some change. So now we say to this young man, here is your next step. I'd like you to go before the presence of God and everything your wife shared with you, I want you to confess and seek God's forgiveness. And when that's done, I'd like you to go back to your wife and specifically, I don't want you to say, I'm sorry. I want you to specifically go to her and say, honey, I need to ask your forgiveness for these sins I've committed against you in these areas. Would you forgive me for one, two, three, et cetera, et cetera. Now, can you tell me where I'm leading this young man at this point? What, 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 what phase is that? Renouncing, right? What stage is that? Correction. You see what I'm doing here? So then he goes and he confesses and asks his wife's forgiveness. I said, okay, now what we need to do is to move you into some repenting. So the next thing is, let's look at all the things in your life that has been hindering you from doing what you should be doing, which is your first ministry, your wife. So let's look at your calendar and look at everything you're doing and let's see what we're going to drop so that your wife can become the priority. What are we moving him into in that process? That would be the what? Repenting, is that right? Repenting. Now that you do this, come back to me and let's look at the things that you're going to drop now. Wonderful. I see you're going to put this away, put this away, put this away. Wonderful. Let's get busy on that. Now, as you start to put this in place, here's what I need you to do with your wife. I need you to go home this week. Since you know that verse, live with your wife in an understanding way. I need you to do some observations. And I want you to give me 40 observations of your wife. I want you to tell me things about her hurts, her fears, her disappointments, her joys, her sorrows. I want you to tell me things about her before her cycle, during her cycle, after her cycle. I want you to tell me all of these things over the next 14 days. Now, when you come back with that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn all those observations of your wife into 40 acts of service towards your wife. Now, is that generic, ladies and gentlemen? Is that specific? Is that precise? He sinned specifically. He needs to do what? Obey specifically. You see where I'm going here? So now he comes back with these things. So he has renewed his mind. He's understood. Now he needs to replace. So let's look at the first thing you're going to do for the next seven days towards your wife. And let's put this to practice. Now, the next time he quotes that verse, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. He will not only have exposition of scripture, he would have done an exposition of his own heart with practical application of what that looks like in the context of his marriage. And he now becomes a doer of the word, not a what? Hearer of the word. And you see what we've just did with those R's. We took him down, but we're dealing with him where he is, not where we want him to be. Right? Before we go to more details on this, take just a few minutes, process what I just did with you, and ask the question, so what?
So what? What are the implications of this for what I'm doing? Okay, take about two or three minutes. So what? What are the implications of this for what I'm doing? How can I effectively think this way as I'm counseling? Take about two or three minutes. We'll come back. We'll build on this just a little bit more and we'll call it a night. You got me? What I hope you're starting to see is that we are taking progressive sanctification and we're making it plain and practical for biblical counseling. Does that make sense? We always have to change and God has set up the standards and the process by which we have to change. So there's no counseling session that we're going to run into where the solution doesn't come back to them walking through this. There'll be different things they need to do according to the categories that we've mentioned, but it will be the same process. And as we learn to see where people are, okay, here's the category, C1, C2, C3. Where are they? Are they in the, and we can go both ways. Let me start with what I just taught you. Are they in the training stage? If they're not in the training stage, then I need to lead them to the training stage. If they're in the training stage, then they need to go to the conviction stage. Well, if they're in the conviction stage, I need to take them to the correction stage. If they're in the correction, I need to take them to the training stage. Depending on where they are, we'll determine the context of my counseling and we'll discover tomorrow the homework that I give. What we tend to do is we give homework according to what we just heard, not according to what the person is. So tomorrow... I'm going to look at concepts that we'll teach in counseling and we'll look at homework, but I want to flip it. What you have in your notes next is concepts, but I want to flip it and talk about homework and then come back to concepts. So what we'll do is you're going to discover, well, depending on what stage the person is, that should determine the kind of homework I need to give. And what I do with my counselors, and I'm hard on them, okay, I'm like a drill sergeant because remember, I'm, you're dealing with people's lives. 
So my thing to them is, okay, when we meet and you tell me about your session, I want to know, number one, is it a C1, C2, C3, C4 problem? Second thing I want to know is, what phase or what stage are they in according to what you just told me? And then thirdly, I want to know, what homework did you give in order to help them in that stage to move to the next stage? Why did you give that? Does it not make sense to you that wrong homework is going to equal wrong result? So if I'm in the conviction stage and you're giving me stuff for correction, is it safe to say that that's going to be a flop homework assignment? You see where I'm going? So we need to know, depending on where the person is, should determine the kind of homework that we're going to give. And we're going to go through that tomorrow and talk about specific categories of homework, again, that's tied to the specific area the person is in. So if this is a C1 problem and the person's in the conviction stage, then what homework do I need to give them and how will I instrument that homework to them? Okay, And as we learn that, then I want to try to take you through some scenarios to help you tell me, okay, person comes to you, they're at this place, what homework do we give, why, how do we lead them through this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you master this, guys, you're no longer overwhelmed when you're counseling. You can sit back, watch the Holy Spirit do what he does in the process, and you become the instrument in the Redeemer's hands. Because you're not there to make people change, you're there to help facilitate the change. And the more you learn where they are and what you have to work with, the easier it becomes for you to facilitate the process.